This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. You're listening to Quick to Listen, the Christianity Today podcast where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event. I am Caitlin Beatty, the print managing editor of Christianity Today, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Morgan Lee. Hey, Morgan. Hi, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Great. Today, our guest is my colleague, Kate Shellnut, the online associate editor here at CT, and she's in the house. Kate. Hey, longtime listener, first time chatter. I'm so glad to be (laughs) here with you guys. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. So as our listeners know, we try to dig into controversies that come with some complexity and tension. And we first try to acknowledge those tensions and then work out how Christians can respond. This week, we are talking about a major story in the New York Times this past weekend on a trend among contestants of The Biggest Loser. Some of you might have seen the competition reality show now in its 12th season that follows overweight contestants through five months of strenuous exercise, restricted calorie diets, and the one losing the most weight relative to their initial weight winning $250,000. But the study found that uh, several contestants gained back a significant amount of weight after the show, and scientists are naturally interested in why that is, and they're discovering that it's because the, the contestant's metabolism slows significantly. So... A lot of you probably didn't actually see the piece in the New York Times, but we thought it was important to um, look at the data and then talk about what these findings reveal about how we think about health and weight loss in Christian communities, why we're so drawn to these shows of major transformation, and whether there are ways that uh, Christians and church communities can offer a better way to think about health holistically. So that's the main story we're talking about this week. And as usual, we're going to start with our gut check. Um, We try to get a quick sense of everybody's initial responses to the topic in 140 characters or less, at least in spirit. So we'll start with you, Kate. What's your reaction to the New York Times piece? Yeah, I think a lot of people, like a lot of people, I wasn't surprised to hear that people who have lost weight in such an extreme environment and so quickly have gained it back. I think that that's kind of expected um, at that point. But the fact that it was having long term effects on their bodies and their health just reveals that sometimes these feel good shows that get really popular can distract us from looking at the really problematic elements beneath them. And I think that there are a lot of concerns with a show like Biggest Loser um, and some of these other weight loss shows. So it made me think, um, what is reality TV keeping us from actually looking at what is it hiding from us Mm. um, in terms of a show like this? Yeah, those are great questions that we will dig into. What about you, Morgan? What's your gut check on The Biggest Loser story? I read it early on Monday morning. I think I tweeted it out multiple times because I found it pretty incredible. Yeah, my mind was pretty blown by the fact that the people that are profiled in them, their metabolism basically works against them. There's, I believe, like a line in the article that talks about those bodies literally not are, are going against what they're very mm-hmm. wish. Yeah, my gut check. Well, one, I thought the New York Times piece in and of itself was just wonderfully set up. Like it was just fascinating, even if you don't watch these shows. And I and I have only watched these shows like at my parents' house when I'm visiting. So I'm not a regular watcher, but I do find them fascinating. I'm not that surprised that there are problems after the show like Kate. I think it makes sense. Um, and I think this this study really 
um, challenges some of our assumptions about obesity. And um, we will dig into some of those assumptions. So um, let's dive right into the first story. And I and I wanted to quote uh, one of the contestants is actually a pastor in North Carolina and he ended up gaining back all of the weight that he had lost and even then some. So the story quoted him a lot. And one of the things he said is his metabolism is so slow now, it's kind of like hearing you have a life sentence. So a lot of these contestants are saying, this is basically like finding out that you have a disease. There's nothing you could do about relaxing the disease. And that, that line really stuck with me. I'm just wondering... How do these findings kind of challenge some of our assumptions about people who are overweight or obese? We hear things like, well, if they just change their lifestyle habits or they're late. And I feel like this story kind of throws those lines, those easy lines or easy assumptions out. So, um, yeah, wanting to get into how does this story challenge some of our assumptions? I think that this is interesting for us to think about as Christians because we're people who want to be welcoming to everyone. And we also don't want to be people who judge people based on their size. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone wants to be in that position. And yet um, we seem to posit that, oh, it's the rest of society that's doing the judging, that we don't hold these same beauty standards mm-hmm. as everyone else. But when it gets down to it, a lot of us deep down, when we see someone of a certain size who is um, obese or who is the kind of size that makes them hard to sit in certain chairs, mm-hmm. that makes you stare, you think, what is wrong with this person that they haven't taken care of their health? A lot of times we'll position it in health when they might in fact be healthy, but just very, very large. I think that I was talking to someone, there's a writer who's written for Hermeneutics, a site that I edit, um, Nicole Morgan, and she was talking to me about how within the church and then also within academic communities, places that are very smart, that there's not a discrimination based on beauty, but based on morality, that we think Mm -hmm. you are lazy, that you are stupid, that you don't know Mm -hmm. how to take care of yourself. And that's why you're so big. So they feel like they face the same amount of judgment kind of in a Christian context, even though I think a lot of us would purport to say that we're not uh, arbiters of of size in that way. Mm. I feel like our Protestant work ethic kind of flavors how Americans end up seeing this type of conversation where the same idea of if you work hard enough, you can do anything Hmm. means that when something's not done, we easily assign it to laziness Mm -hmm. rather than biology, genetics, cultural norms of the places that are around Mm -hmm. you and how, yeah, this type of like very woven together ecosystem actually contributes a lot. So one thing I thought about a lot is I'm a huge baseball fan and for Many years, the San Francisco Giants had a third baseman named Pablo Sandoval who played for them. And every year, the off-season story, using these type, this lens of the hard work lens, it was always tempting to feel like, well, if he comes to spring training and he's not in shape, we can clearly blame that on the fact that he doesn't care about the team or his teammates and he was just being, you know, he, he didn't work out without thinking of the other range of factors that might have gone into it, which this article makes the case again. It's very like based on biology and mm. and genetics and science. And that had a lot to do with it. And it's gone to the point. So he left the Giants a couple years ago and now plays for the Red Sox and lost his starting position there. And I believe that he's like pretty loath and seen as like a waste of money in many ways. And are we blaming something that's for, for fully in his own control? That's mm-hmm. what I was wondering. You know, is he getting hate for something that this article really does a good job unpacking is a lot harder than him just saying, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to eat less and work out more. 
And there's a lot of the article was interesting because it showed all of these people in fitness attire. These people were working out regularly. So it's not like, oh, they're mm-hmm. on their couches eating chips or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it reminds me of something Mindy Kaling once said where everyone thought, oh, she just must be because she's a, a kind of a lo- larger actress, a chubbier actress. She's been labeled that. And she says, no, I work really hard to stay this chubby. Like I would be so much larger <laughs> if I wasn't working hard. And so, and I kind of identify with that like as, as being a woman who's always like I could be 15 or 20 pounds less than I am I feel like no I I put a lot of work into maintaining the size Mm -hmm. that I am even if you are someone who is Mm -hmm. a little bit bigger than that average or that yeah uh, that cutoff for overweight or obese that you could be working hard yeah I and this is one of the main critiques of the show is that you're put into this environment where you have every day all day to work out in strenuous ways and then hold someone hold having someone hold you accountable to a very restricted calorie diet most of us have to work like we have to work and we have to manage our homes and we have to raise children we the the ability to focus so much time and energy on your physique is really a privileged option so i think we're we're all women by the way in this room i want to talk a little bit about how gender informs how we maybe critique people who are overweight as well. Now there, there are like, I think there are an even number of men and women on the show and I'm, but I'm interested in what you were saying, Morgan, about this player, Pablo. I guess I'm a little surprised that he got so much critique for being a larger man. I would think like if you're, if you're a professional athlete and you're a dude, like you're above reproach. So, so baseball, just so people know, it has a reputation for you being more traditionally out of shape and being able to play it. So like obviously mm-hmm. football players are incredibly built, right? They're mm-hmm. they're big and they're built. Um whereas baseball you don't have to be built in the same way to still be able to play. And I actually think a lot about like athletes and their bodies. Mm-hmm. I've like thought a lot about this kind of subject and the way that fans feel like they can foist expectations on other people's bodies mm-hmm. and then hate force them back want them to play after illness like there's this this, this complicated like mm. relationship around them where you almost feel entitled to have something to say about else's body so. Yeah, and we're seeing how, I mean, not just in professional athletes, but this is reflective of a bigger trend that body dysmorphia, eating disorders are now a equal opportunity game, that more men are being subject to these strict expectations, and whether it's based on the pictures that they see on social media, just like uh, we women might see pictures of our friends or celebrities and say, okay, that's the bod, that there's actually, I think, a little um, bit of hurt at the joke of the dad bod that I think that there are some people that there's a little shame in the, in the core of that, uh. that that they realize like yeah I'm getting a pooch or a tummy and um, just like one of the many things that I guess change as you age we talked about how yeah. we're mentioning off the mic earlier how it becomes harder and harder um, no matter who you are no matter what your body type was once you start getting into your 30s 40s 50s and beyond to maintain any sort of so eat what you can now 20 year olds enjoy it it's only going to last for 7 more years So let's talk a little bit about The Biggest Loser as a trend. We see a lot of other reality TV shows on extreme weight loss. We have one literally called Extreme Weight Loss on ABC. There's Fit to Fat to Fit, which I just learned about yesterday. And I want Kate to explain the premise of the show because it's a little crazy to me. Well, I guess on the one hand, you look at a show like The Biggest Loser and you think, oh, how could someone like Jillian Michaels, who is one of the famous former coaches on the show, be, 
yelling at these overweight people when she seems like someone who's always been fit. It mm-hmm. seems kind of unfair. So this show tackles that problem by making the trainer gain as much weight so that they're at the same weight as the contestant. So say that they were, you know, 150 pounds, they go up to like 240. Then they lose all the weight back down with the contestant with the contestant who's losing that weight for the and first this whole time. process oh my. this whole process happens within a, like a year probably it takes them a uh-huh. couple of months to gain the weight and then a few more months to lose it back and this just reveals kind of the bias that that the new york times uncovered where that that trainer has an advantage a huge advantage of his metabolism over right, the right. overweight person whose metabolism is actively fighting um to hold on to the weight that he does have yeah what i loved most of all about israel and why i became a zionist was because zionism was a rejection of victimhood a few weeks ago on ct's the bulletin we launched promised land a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, Every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But they, all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. So there's obviously something about these shows that we really enjoy. I think there's something about the before and after pictures that really capture just the inspiring and addictive nature of these shows. And I'm just wondering what's going on with our draw in our cultural moment. Well, I think that the, yeah, the transformation is alluring. I think before a show like Biggest Loser, we would not have even had the imagination to think that someone could go from being several hundred pounds, a few hundred pounds Mm -hmm. to being, um, a more average or typical size so that, that you could lose, you know, 50, 60, 75 pounds at a time. And this kind of makes it seem like, yeah, everything's possible if you work hard enough, as Morgan was saying before. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it reflected in my own feeds with friends who do weight loss challenges, who do CrossFit, um, who do Whole30 and post their quote unquote transformation Tuesday and really mark Which their- is a hashtag yeah. trend, by the way. Like yeah. every Tuesday you can go on to Instagram, find your side by side pictures. And it is scary a little bit because it seems like the more they lose, the more different they look, the more kind of achieved that they feel, the the better their identity. And I'm I'm always happy for people to be healthier and living a healthy lifestyle. But um, it does feel like a lot and it feels like pressure. And I'll admit that I when I embarked on a diet challenge and ended up losing a good amount of weight through it, I lost like 25 or 30 pounds. And I didn't post any pictures, one, because 
no pictures of my belly will exist on the internet, but also <laughs> because I worried, okay, what is this saying to people that follow me about what I value, about how I see myself and about mm. what's important? If I show off, the thing that I show off is that I used to look like this and now I look like this mm-hmm. when really I see myself as an equally lovable, valuable, beautiful person in mm-hmm. both places. <laughs> yes. I mean, isn't this the narrative arc of most reality TV shows? extreme makeover all the home renovation shows that they're out there shows that teach people what to not be better to wear cooks yeah what not to wear we have a lot of shows that really reinforce this method that like you can change the superficial and you can change you like mm, yeah that that it's not just a yeah we have like these these shows that say like if you change what outside it does change the inside mm. you are a you are a person or a house or you have more worth. You can be loved more. Yeah. It's, it's almost always framed with the weight loss shows as well as like physical makeover shows. Like there's always something deeper going on inside. And once you look in that after picture, you're like a better person. You feel better about yourself. Your identity is more secure. You are more lovable in some way. Like you reject the for you and it's it's interesting that it's almost always framed as not as I lost all this weight and I just feel healthier, but I'm still the same person. It's like I am a new person. Exactly. Well, it's changed me. Yeah. This is what I think it's weird is so these shows reinforce this argument that our desires, the public's desires, society desires are not disordered. The person is disordered. Right. Hmm. And if the person is reordered, then they can be worthy of the love rather than saying no, the love that we have for other people is disordered. It's warped. It can't mm. see everyone. And that's what needs to be challenged, mm. which is a different way of like phrasing it and like thinking about like who has to do the work in society. In this case, we often say these are the people that need to get their act together mm-hmm. for us to include them rather than saying we're being exclusionary or our gates are too narrow. Yeah, so people who are messy or who aren't stylish or, or who are overweight, that none of those people, like that that's not the problem. The problem is the fact that we take issue with those things. Exactly. I also think, I mean, I will admit, so there's a friend from high school who has lost a significant amount of weight in the past. It's taken a long time. I mean, she's been working on weight loss for the past year and she's lost probably 50 pounds. And there's something about the photos that she posts that are really inspiring to me. I don't need to lose weight, but there's something about seeing that that makes me think, maybe I could change too, even if it's not about weight loss. I could make a decision to change or alter something really fundamental and that there's something we look to these stories because we want to change on some level. And there's so much affirmation and encouragement wrapped up in it, both on the show and being coached by like a professional trainer. And also if you're doing a weight loss challenge or an exercise class with a group, or if you're sharing your quote unquote weight loss journey on social media, mm-hmm. that everyone's just like, go you, like you did the thing. Yeah. You're, you look great and do great. And wouldn't it be great if it didn't take mm-hmm. so much for us to get that affirmation? Mm-hmm. If, if 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 people had a a source of encouragement um, at whatever place that they're at too, that I, I feel like that's almost what you're kind of after is the idea that so I want someone to tell me that I can do anything mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. that I you know mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit, kind of wrapping up. I, I think we'd all agree that there's a difference between a number on a scale and and full body health and full mind and spirit health as well. What is holistic health? Like, how do we define that? And 
how does our culture and maybe especially these shows and then are there specific ways that Christians can promote holistic health? And we should acknowledge that the three of us are average sized, abled bodied women um, and that people are going to have different responses and experiences and perspectives on this who have chronic disease, who have suffered disabilities or other conditions, um, who have health demands that require they eat, behave, take a certain medicine um, or who are larger people than us. So um, so we're kind of just speaking about from our view from and our what we know, yeah. um, what we see as to be healthy. Yeah, that's a good word. I think any conversation that we talk about holistic health has to include mental health, depression, bipolar disorder. Often, as we know, these are particular diseases that are stigmatized from church conversation. When you're talking about being able to cheer uh, or propose something on Instagram and have people cheer you on, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily that's necessarily the case for how people usually post when they suffer from mental illness, though I do know that I've seen people use social media to kind of speak out more about taking their meds, about going to get therapy, about going to the counselor. And so I do think that there is a social media component that does has done a good job of like destigmatizing and seeing and, and kind of reframing this as like a health concern. And I would say that we get the advantage as Christians to be able to speak about holistic health um, from a theological perspective, too, that we understand ourselves as created beings who have um, an emotional, a spiritual, a soul dimension, too. And so we have to know that um, the things that we think and take in, the things that we believe about ourselves are going to have effects on us physically, just as our physical is going to weigh on us mentally. So I think um, not neglecting either side of those is a way to honor who we understand ourselves to be created by God. Too. Yeah, and I feel like the church and local local churches particularly can go a long way in communicating that God's love and our love for other people is not contingent on what you might weigh on a scale and that it kind of begins and ends with a baseline of love. But then within that, I do think that, like you were saying, Kate, there are really good theological resources in thinking about our bodies themselves as gifts and something to steward well. And that doesn't mean getting to a certain weight goal. It's just like eating food that is good for your body from a scientific perspective and like exercising your body, whether that's going on a run or like playing with friends or walking to the grocery store. Like these are good things that steward our bodies well and that go much deeper than what's the number when you step on the scale. And I've even seen an actual movement also on social media that is all about beyond the scale victory. The idea being I am on some sort of health. I have some health goals. I want to improve my health, but I've I've deliberately chosen not to weigh myself. And that's one thing that I did. I didn't weigh myself during the time that I was losing weight so that it wouldn't be kind of a numeric challenge. And the idea is maybe maybe they do want to fit into a pair of pants. Maybe there's an actual size they want to be, but more like I want to be sleeping this much. I want to be feeling this much. I want to be, you know, eating my balanced plate of vegetables and fruit a day. So it's nice to not put a number on it and to see it as a lifestyle and kind of embedded. Yeah. Well, that's a really good note to end on. Uh, Thank you so much to all of you for listening. If there are specific theological takeaways about health, about weight loss, about these transformation shows that you feel like we didn't really touch on, we are on Twitter at Podcast. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. So we'd love to hear perspective that we didn't cover. Well, now it's time for the segment of the show we're calling Precious Moments, when we go around and shout out one person, place, or thing that is giving us a special kind of joy this week, and then also where 
our listeners can find you online. So naturally, we're going to start with Kate. Great. Well, I'm obviously very happy to be here in the CT offices in Carroll Stream, Illinois. And also this morning, I was uh, at our photo shoot for an upcoming cover story of CT that I am editing and working on. So it's been exciting to see kind of behind the scenes and be involved in something um, real special uh, for the magazine. So please stay tuned for that. That's a cover story. It's called CT Makers, and it's about creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship. It's coming up in July, August. And kind of related to the entrepreneurial side, I'm really excited that the HBO show Silicon Valley is back. It's a favorite of mine. um, So I'm tuning into that. Sweet. Where are you online? Oh, yes. So you can find me uh, at Kate Shellnut, K-A-T-E-S-H-E-L-L-N-U-T-T. Two T's, you guys. The only other thing that I wanted to add is that Kate was actually periscoping the coverage this morning of this photo shoot. So look as well from our account. My precious moment for the week is our executive editor, Andy Crouch, has a book out called Strong and Weak, and it has been making the rounds. It's a book on leadership. It's not a very thick or dense book, but it seems like there's a lot of practical application there. Um, I lead a young editors group at our office, and we are going to be going through that book the rest of the year, and I'm really looking forward to just having and as a resource to talk through going through the book and then using this group that we have to kind of challenge and encourage each other. Cool. Where can we find you? I am on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Well, my precious moment this week is related to my own life transformation I've been on (laughs) for the past couple, well, for the past month or so. I have been meeting with a life coach and I am someone who a month ago, if you would have said like, hey, you should do life coaching, I would have been like, that's not a real thing. That's I I don't need that. But I've been meeting with a woman who actually used to work here at Christianity Today. Actually, she was the person who hired me nine years ago. And um, it's it's not advice. It's not counseling. It's more what do you really want? in your life, in your vocation, like what are your long-term goals and then getting behind like immediate goals to what are the values that drive you. So we we just have conversations once a week and she's very direct. There's no like beating around the bush. There's no fluff and it's been enormously helpful. So I may say more about that in later podcasts. And you can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Beatty. So that is it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. And naturally also want to give a special thanks to Kate Shelnut, who we have the pleasure of seeing this week. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us a lot. See you next week. Bye. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.